What a morning. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. Welcome to our Easter Sunday morning gathering. As we've been saying these last few weeks, please make sure that you're watching this in a playlist mode uh, to get the full flow of our service. In our previous gatherings, we've been keeping company with Jesus in the garden, in the courtroom, in the dark, on the cross, and in his solitary confinement as he breathed his last and died. Here, I don't mean to give the game away, but he didn't stay dead. You know that, don't you? He rose again. I love how his disciples described it just a few weeks after Jesus' death when they took the message of Jesus' resurrection and spread it, made it viral throughout the whole of Jerusalem. They said, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to hold him. It's like they were saying, you want to keep Jesus down? You want to take the author of life and end his story? Good luck with that. He's the comeback king. Let's join together and let's pray. Thine be the glory, death's lost its sting. Welcome among us here today, Jesus. You're the comeback king. It really was impossible for death to keep its hold on you. Jesus, thank you for all you've done for us. Everything we've remembered these last weeks and days. You took the hit, stood where we should have stood, and that's why we called it Good Friday. Jesus, we love that you're here with us. Because you've been raised, we will one day rise. Because you're living, we can be fully alive. Because you're not dead, we know that you're not alone. Help us to live our lives now, today, tomorrow, and every day that lies ahead, every moment of our lives, in your power and in your resurrection strength. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just now we've got a couple of things for the kids. Uh, we have a great wee video for them to watch and then a brilliant Resurrection Day song. Just now we're going to have a little bit of uh, Easter Sunday Bible teaching. Um, David Montgomery, a member of our congregation who often teaches with us, isn't around these days because he and his wife Gwen have gone over to Regent College in Vancouver uh, for a sabbatical. Uh, their plans there have been uh, affected, just as our lives have by coronavirus. So Monty's found himself with not quite the agenda that he thought he was going to have, um, and he's therefore a little bit freer. And this morning, uh, he's able to, to join in with me and to teach on our Easter teaching series. So it's a, it's a real joy for me to be able to introduce uh, Monty coming to teach. He's going to share with us a couple of Easter reflections, a couple of characters uh, in, in the Bible, and thinking particularly about how they responded 
to the resurrection of Jesus. I think that makes these uh, reflections very interesting because they serve as an invitation to us uh, to think about how we're responding to the resurrection of Jesus. So I'd encourage you to pay attention, uh, to listen carefully and prayerfully, and to see what God might be saying to you uh, and inviting you to think about with the resurrection of Jesus. To prepare us for that, I'm going to read a couple of short passages, not, not this time from Mark's gospel, but from John's gospel. So first of all, a passage from chapter 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. And then a second passage from John chapter 20, uh, just beginning to read there at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands in his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are recorded that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I can't believe it. Empty streets, cordoned off playgrounds, boarded up shops. You can't even get a, a coffee around here anymore. I think we've entered a whole new world these past few weeks. We've seemed to have dipped into a whole new part of the matrix. If anyone had said to you on New Year's Day that this is what your Easter would be like. No school, no work, no church, no socialising, fear, uncertainty. You wouldn't have believed them. And yet here we are. On 
Last Sunday, uh, Christoph left us with the darkness of all the judgment of God falling on the evil and the sin of the world on Jesus himself. Darkness. But this is a new morning. And for those that were around that very first Easter morning, they also couldn't believe what they were seeing. You see, the tomb that Jesus had been laid in was empty. And the first people on the scene, uh, the woman, his closest friends who came to anoint the body, uh, later the disciples who had run away but were now running to see what was going on, even the Roman soldiers who were posted to guard the tomb, all of them were confused, confounded, astounded at what they had seen. The tomb was empty. They couldn't believe it. One of the arguments that is often put forward against the resurrection is that it was all very well for primitive, uneducated people 2,000 years ago to comfort themselves with some idea of resurrection. But now in our modern scientific world, we know better. And we know that people don't rise from the dead. Well, frankly, that is unhistorical. It shows an extreme ignorance of ancient culture, religion and philosophy. And to be honest, it's a little bit patronising. These witnesses of the first resurrection were no more likely to believe in resurrection than the most hardened of atheists like Richard Dawkins. They weren't stupid. They knew people didn't rise from the dead. And when we meet a couple of them later on, we will see that their first responses was were doubt, uh, despair, disbelief. They couldn't believe it. They certainly weren't expecting a resurrection. You see, the Jewish worldview held no place for a concept of resurrection. The, the Old Testament is very hazy about what happens to the souls of the dead. Um, the details of that, they're, they're never quite uh, clear about that. But one thing is certain, there was no concept of, of resurrection. And that is why when you think of Mary and the disciples, etc., that first Easter morning, they were utterly confused. Mary was crying. She thought they'd stolen the body. Then after she encountered Jesus and went to tell Peter and John and they ran to the tomb, you know, they couldn't believe it either. They, they disbelieved Mary's report. Uh, and the other disciples, when they heard also, didn't believe. And then we have Thomas. <laughs> Thomas um, wasn't there at the gathering where Jesus met the, the rest of the twelve. Uh, and he was so sure that it was some sort of spoof that he said that unless he puts his fingers into the place where the nails had gone and puts his hand into the side where the spear had gone, that, that he wouldn't believe either. Now, I'm very squeamish. But you don't have to be particularly squeamish to think that somebody who goes around volunteering to put their hands into people's wounds is pretty sick in the head. The only way we can understand what Thomas was saying is if we recognize 
that the only reason he said that was that he believed there was no chance on earth he would ever have to do it. He didn't expect resurrection. Mary didn't expect it. Peter, John didn't expect it. And yet, whenever Jesus came to Thomas, whenever Thomas did the unimaginable, he recognized it was Jesus and he fell down at his feet. The doubter became a worshiper. Now, I know the church hasn't been great over the centuries at dealing with doubt. Uh, many people have felt unable to express their doubts for various reasons. Maybe you're one of them. Well, take comfort. You're in good company. The Bible is full of people who express their doubts and ask God questions. But there came a time for Thomas to believe. And I've noticed that there's also been a tendency, perhaps, for some people to turn doubt into a virtue. To almost think that there is something wrong with coming to a conclusion or achieving certainty on something. One modern writer said that uh, Jesus didn't love Thomas in spite of his doubts. He loved him because he doubted. He wanted Thomas to doubt. Well, frankly, if somebody doubts my word and questions my integrity, I would hope I would love them in spite of that. I wouldn't be saying, bring it on. I love you because you're doubting me. No, Jesus wanted to bring Thomas further. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson famously said, to travel hopefully is better than to arrive. Well, he'd obviously never been on a car with a five-year-old. You know, are we nearly there yet? No, we journey in order to get to a destination. We bring our doubts in order to achieve a resolution. Just after this Thomas story, just a couple of verses later, John finishes his gospel by saying, Jesus did many other things that could have been recorded in this book. But these are written. Why? So that you might travel hopefully? So that you might live with your doubts? No, no. These are written so that you might believe. So that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in believing, you might have life in his name. You can't believe it. Neither could they. But there came a time for the doubter to become a worshipper. The other person I would like us to meet this Easter Sunday is a guy called Joseph. We don't know very much about him. We have to backtrack a little bit because this is the guy who gave his tomb for Jesus to be buried in. Uh, we know that he was from a town called Arimathea. We know that he was a wealthy man. Uh, and one of the Gospel writers, Luke, says that he was a good and upright man who was waiting for the Kingdom of God. And another Gospel writer, John, says that he was actually a secret disciple because he was afraid of the Jewish leaders. So an upright man and yet a secret disciple. And yet he does something fascinating. If you like, he comes out of the closet. He becomes a public disciple. And he does this uh, at a time when it was very difficult to do it. He, he, he got up in front of the very people he was afraid of, the Jewish leaders. He went to the guy who handed Jesus over to be crucified, who was Pilate, and he asked for the body. He was a secret disciple when it was easy to be one, when Jesus was doing miracles and attracting a mass following and healing and all of that. And yet he became a public disciple when it was most dangerous to do so, when everyone else 
was running away. It seems that he had seen enough in Jesus, uh, enough of his teaching as he heard that, uh, enough on how he went through his unjust trial and the verdict that Joseph actually refused to consent to, and then enough in how he died to realize that this was probably the Son of God. And so he became a public disciple. The church is full of people, and the world is full of people who are perhaps secret disciples, people who for whatever reason don't want to nail their colours to the mast. Well, let, if you're one of those, let Joseph of Arimathea be your patron saint. But remember this, there came a time for Joseph to get off the fence and to make a decision and to stop waiting for the kingdom of God and to become part of it. I don't know if Joseph was one of those guys that Jesus gave a personal appearance to after his resurrection, but I'm almost sure he was there with that group of 500 that we know Jesus appeared to uh, as he started becoming a real disciple and as he started understanding what it meant to follow this Jesus. So there comes a time for the doubter to be a worshipper and there comes a time for the secret disciple to become a public one. A time for someone who has been maybe very quiet in their faith to stop being quiet and be able to shout it. I believe! I believe! You see, the interesting thing is that Joseph did all of this even before the resurrection, before he had that evidence. It is almost as though he believed there was a story to be continued. That's the effect that Jesus has on you. There's one last story which I don't have time to talk to you about today. And it's one of my favourite. It's about two people who were walking along the road, probably a man and his wife, and it follows the same pattern as the others. Uh, they were despairing, they were discouraged, and yet the text tells us that their hearts burned within them as they suddenly realised it wasn't all over and that the stranger who was walking with them was Jesus himself. And although they were tired, although they, it was night and the road was dangerous, although they'd been lethargic and despairing, they ran, sprinted back to Jerusalem with joy because they had met the risen Lord Jesus. Those guys remind me of uh, a man I once knew called Arthur. Arthur, if you like, had been a bit of a doubter, like Thomas. He'd been maybe even secretly interested in Jesus, like Joseph. Um, and eventually he came to one of our Christianity Explored courses. And he came to faith. And a few weeks later, it was Easter Sunday, and he was leaving the church, and I was shaking hands with people as I do, you know, nice sermon, reverend, and all of that. And something was different because Arthur, who was not a very demonstrative person, I think he was probably an accountant or something, uh, he was virtually dancing out of the church. There was a spring and a step, and I said, Hi, Arthur, you're in good form this morning. And he says, Well, why wouldn't I be Monday? I've had 40 Easter's in my life, and this is the first one where I've really understood what it's all about. I hope that whether you are doubter, secret disciple, or despairing disciple, that this Easter you realize that 
in the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of everything else, there is hope because Christ is risen and nothing, no government, no philosophy, no pandemic will be able to take away that hope from us. Happy Easter. Thanks to all of you who have been in touch over the last weeks, um, maybe expressing appreciation for our City of Love gatherings or the updates which I send out by email. Uh, Every time you're in touch, that encourages me uh, because, believe me, it's a weird thing uh, to be sitting in the house most of the time and a lot of my working life to revolve around planning YouTube playlists, recording videos and sending out emails. Thank you to all who've been in touch. If you have any ideas of things that you think would be an encouragement to the church family uh, that could be in either a future gathering or in an email, just be in touch with me and send that through and, and we'll have a look to see if that would work. One of the best parts of Sunday morning at Kirkpatrick Memorial is our coffee time at the end of the service. It's a chance to catch up, to hear about what's been going on in each other's lives, to tell fun stories, to encourage each other in our lives with Jesus. Uh, We miss all of that. Uh, Nowadays we can't do that. There's no coffee time. We can't meet up like that. That's why I've created the outtakes section at the end of our City of Love playlists. I want you to think of that as a virtual coffee time. Send me any messages that you have, anything that you'd like to share that you think might be an encouragement to the wider church family, and I'll try to fit that in. Uh, Have a look for today's outtakes after this service. You'll see an update from Kirsten Hewitt about her work with the homeless in the Simon community. You'll see greetings from Lynn, Lynn's mum, from Gary and Harrison, from Eva, Zach and Grace. Uh, You'll see the Amazing Grace video that we had previously posted in a City of Love update. And there's even a a wee extra kids story for Easter from Dave the donkey. Just now I'd like to lead you in a prayer, an Easter prayer for these strange times that we find ourselves in. Let's join together and let's pray. Just as we begin to pray, I want to share with you a little of what's been going on in our church family. Over recent weeks, we've seen coronavirus make a real impact on the life of our congregation. We've had infections followed by recovery. We've got ongoing infections. We have members of the church family who've lost loved ones with coronavirus infections and will likely have more in the days ahead. Let's speak now to our Father God about all of this. Father God, we come to you this resurrection day and we pray for new life. We pray that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead would be at work in us and among us. Bring healing to our land. Shield us from the further spread of coronavirus. Strengthen our health care workers. 
restore us all to joy and to life. We pray at this time for our church family. Use these days to draw us into a deeper love with you. Teach us in these days how better to love one another. Lord, we pray for those who are fearful. May they learn to cast every care on you and to see that you care for us. We pray for those who are lonely and feel isolated. May they see that you, Jesus, are a friend who stays closer than a brother. Make true to them your promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We pray for every member of our church family who feels overwhelmed, vulnerable, and heavy with concern. Help us all, like the psalmist, to say, Take me to the rock that is higher than I. Lord, may we take refuge in the shadow of your wings until this disaster has passed. Lord Jesus, help us and those whom we love to trust you with our very lives, remembering that you're stronger than death. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close our service this morning with an invitation to keep looking to Jesus. Uh, the song's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, but for those who know that old song, you'll find that it has a, a modern twist. But it's a beautiful, beautiful song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let me close our service just now with some words from First Peter which are just perfect for an Easter Sunday morning service. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. May you know that new birth this year. And may you live every moment of every day in living hope. Amen. Hi, my name is Kirsten Hewitt. I've been attending Kirkpatrick for the last four years with my husband. And we have two children, Harrison and Bethan. I'm presently working from home. And my husband spends most of his days trying to amuse a four-year-old and two-year-old. At the end of January, I changed jobs, and I now work for the Simon community in Northern Ireland as the Director of Homelessness. I have responsibility for all our projects and services which are aimed at people experiencing homelessness. Prior to that, I worked for the Salvation Army, and so I've worked in this particular sector for the last six years in Northern Ireland. I can talk about homelessness and how it impacts us, in Belfast particularly, in street homelessness and and how things have changed over the years. But in particular, I wanted to draw attention to this particular crisis and how it's impacting us now. The Simon community in Northern Ireland has over 30 projects aimed at those experiencing homelessness. 21 of them are accommodation projects. And on a nightly basis, we accommodate over 300 individuals. 
a lot of the sites we have have shared facilities. And so at this particular time, we have clients who are self-isolating or being confined to spaces where they are having to share with others. That's not an ideal situation. And it really highlights how important a home is. Those are people that I am praying for on a daily basis. And if you can, please add them to your prayer list. We have staff in our services. We have to keep them open 24-7. If we're not open to offer this accommodation to individuals, then people who are homeless will end up in worse situations than they are now. And so we need staff on a daily basis. And boy, it's a daily challenge. We have on some sites up to 60% of our staff team who are in self-isolation. So we're, self -su we're supplementing those staff teams with staff from other sites and agencies. And we are presently recruiting new staff. Across the sector, an organization called Quality Matters is doing a sector-wide recruitment for us. Who, so people who have the time and capacity can sign up and then be allocated to any services in their area where they can help. If that's something you can help with, then you would be more than welcome to look, look that up and sign up. More than anything at this time, I guess I'm asking for us to pray for those who are experiencing homelessness and the impact this crisis will have on our society. We expect the numbers and the, the impact of financial strain to really hit, hit this sector really hard in the next months. And so I'm really praying into that. And if you can and you, you want to, then please join me and pray that we have enough staff in the Simon community, but also in the other homeless charities who can keep doing what they're doing on a daily basis. Thank you. Hi everyone, it's Lynn Doherty here from Kirkpatrick. I'm just down visit my mum, obviously doing my social distancing. Um, she's been sharing with us uh, our City of Love gatherings and she has a few words for us all. for putting together this, this service, City of Gallery, week by week. Uh, my daughter then has been sitting on this an iPad, and uh, she's pushing me very much ahead of time with this technology, but I think it's invaluable 